0: Nathan and my co host, Edwin. Our special guest is a returning guest. She is the CEO of Dominant Impact Performance, a sports psychologist who covers a range of sports. They include aquatics, basketball, soccer, and baseball. Her company offers a range of services, including Mind Camp, that helps with emotion and stress management, goal setting, and self talk techniques. A warm, warm welcome to dr kj how are you
1: i'm good how about yourselves
0: yeah 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 this has been a long time coming so yeah i'm a bit amped for this um there's a lot to talk about honestly so i was listening re-listening back to the first time you was on and um yeah there's some things that were underutilized as i said to you on instagram so i definitely want to cover some of those areas so uh, first and foremost, before we get into the formalities, you have a new addition, Dr. KJ. I think that is something worth mentioning. So congratulations. How is motherhood going for you?
1: Oh, thank you. Uh, motherhood has been beyond exceptional. Uh, my daughter's literally like the light of my day, just the light of my life. Um, you know, going from one role of just like carrying the child and bringing her into the world, it was kind of like whoa this is different but she's been honestly like my best friend through it all um she's just shown me a lot of like inner strength in myself and has really just like pushed me to want better for myself and for her too so I grind different now like my mindset has shifted um how I move on a day-to-day basis is all for her and for like my legacy through her um and just wanting her to look back and be like wow like I'm so proud of mommy so Um, I love it. She is honest to God, the best child on the planet. (laughs) She is not like a fussy kid. I have not lost sleep. Uh, I know other parents listening. I'm sorry. I wish I could tell you like the prayer I was praying, (laughs) but I was just very much in a positive mindset. And I just kept speaking these positive affirmations about what she would be. And she has totally bodied that and then some. So I love her. Like I had a Send her away so that way she wouldn't be distracting. But um yeah. Okay. Uh, I love it.
0: That's no, good to good to hear. Um so I want to reference the first podcast. So when I was re-listening, one of the areas that stood out for me was your career defining injury. So for those of you that haven't listened to the first podcast, so I guess in humble terms, Dr. KJ was naturally gifted and talented. And she participated in a number of sports um swimming uh, what was that, basketball um what was there was a third one that you said you said on there and um can't remember but one of the things that stood out was how uh, naturally uh, you got used to the fundamentals in each sport and how not only you became comfortable in the fundamentals but you excelled in each of those disciplines but at 13 years old there was a career defining injury and it was spoken about in bit part but i really want to go back to it and i really want you to reflect on your thoughts and feelings how were the early stages and when you found out that this was going to be life-changing and um, what were the, I guess, before you got into psychology, the methods, how were you dealing with it? And how was the support around you?
1: Awesome, um, man. So yeah, like you said, being part of like ver- various sports, my mom was like, if you try out and you make the team, like you're there. So I did just about every sport um, and didn't didn't know my talent then. I just was like, why not just try? And so that's just kind of been like, my my personality like just go give it a shot you know if it works it works if it doesn't it doesn't and so um I had maintained like different like low-key injuries like um the rib dislocation so that would have been about my freshman year so I was about yeah 12 13 and just going up on a taller guard and I got bopped and I was having a little shortness of breath and it just continued to hurt and go to my doctor and come to find out like my ribs had dislocated so I was pretty much benched from that and was already talking about like, you know, how I was gonna maneuver um, in terms of like my basketball career and that was cut short. The doctor was basically like, nope, you're not gonna be able to do that. So fast forward two years later, um, I'm about 15 now, I'm at a different school and I end up on the water polo team. So we thought basketball was aggressive, water polo was very much more aggressive and I loved it um, still to this day. Still re got the same injuries, but just the energy and what being in sports did for my mental health. Um, not really thinking anything of it, but being someone with like high anxiety and someone who stressed a lot, I looked forward to the sports and so when I had my um, season ending injury, my senior year, I think that one really hit because I had just gotten the mindset of like, okay, you're gonna go to college, you know where you're going, you know the coaching staff there, like you're gonna swim, everything's gonna be solid, but I wouldn't say I was, like, 100% in it. I was kind of like, you know, like, I'm going to go do it. But I know me being a, um, a college student athlete is going to affect my academics in a way. And I didn't want that because I was just, a, like, a go-getter in the classroom, too. So I have that injury where I'm out the rest of my swim season. I did not get to complete my senior swim season. I went to practices. I went to meets and all of that. And, I, you know, I stayed a part of it. And I was grateful for that opportunity because I think a lot of coaches miss that, like, when their athletes get injured, they sit there and they're like, oh, wow, you're injured, you just go to, like, physical therapy or go to the athletic trainer, and they almost, in a way, dismiss them for the team, but I wasn't met with that. Um, I was met with, like, oh, yeah, you can come to practice or, you know, you don't have to be here at 5 a.m., you could just be here during your sixth period and, um, you know, sit with the team, and so I would do that, and I appreciated that. And then fast forward, I wouldn't even say six months because, yeah, six months. Um, my freshman year of college, having that career-ending injury by car accident that um, ended up putting me on bed rest for the two weeks and then doing six months of physical therapy, learning to walk again, and just like rehabbing my whole body. I think that one hit different, but I was in a mindset of like, you know what, I had a good support system around me and they were just feeding positivity to me, like we're gonna do whatever it takes. And then having one of my professors sit there and talk to me and say, you know what, this is probably just God. Um, closing one door and opening up another door. We don't think you're done here in the sports realm, but you might be done as an athlete. And I just took that and I ran with it. And the next thing you know, here I am doing sports psych and um, really allowing like my psych courses to help me mentally heal. And then develop this like passion to really get back and help athletes mentally um, through everything. Because um, you look at childhood and all these other things and factors that they go through. But when you look at injury, I think that's so specific because so many athletes get injured and then we're stuck in this like mindset of like dang like what do I do? Like can I can I continue? Can I go back? You know, if I'm a starter, um, will the bench, whoever's playing for me, are they gonna be better and when I come back in, am I gonna be able to take my spot back or am I gonna have to compete with somebody? And so there becomes all these variables. But uh all that to say, um that injury is what really sparked my desire to do what I do now. Um, but I'm also curious like, you know, we talked about me and my injury, but have y'all ever had like injuries like as athletes that made you stop and think and go like, dang, like this could really be the end? And like what was that process like for y'all?
2: Well, I did when I was um when I was doing track and field. So, I had a a niggling knee issue that wouldn't go away, and I think prior to that happening, I had probably the best winter training that I've ever had Um, so when the season started and this injury appeared and it was affecting every single race I had and I wasn't performing to the level that I had it made me doubt whether whether it was the right thing for me to do and it's and probably is one of the reasons why I did stop so mentally it did it did impact me.
0: For myself I had I think from 24 25 so prior to that didn't really have any major injuries when I was playing your soccer our football and I I can remember just pulling up had a hamstring and I remember the doctor saying yes six weeks returned after six or seven weeks started came on as a substitute pulled up in the first five minutes out for another six weeks came back same thing happened out for another four or five weeks and then I think I, I kind of stopped for a bit and in terms of what it did um to me mentally it, it was it was heartbreaking because i wasn't expect I, I i've never dealt with injuries before and where i was 24 25 i was still at the the peak and i could still improve i could still get faster but i almost was resigned to feeling that yes it's over i'm, I'm an old man that's what literally how i felt i felt like i was an old man because that's what i saw so injuries that's that's how I visualize injuries uh an older athlete um get more injuries so obviously that's that was a good decade ago now or so ago so things have definitely changed but yeah it was a bit difficult for me to keep on getting those reoccurring hamstring injuries
2: you must um, you must deal with a lot of athletes that have those type of situations
1: yeah on a I will not say, like, on a day-to-day basis, but, like, being a coach and then be a coach that turned uh, mental performance consultant or coach, whatever, uh, and, like, working in the sports, like, field, yeah, I see that, and I actually love it um, more than anything, um, because it's it's a certain mentality, like you said, you you get injured, and you start getting flooded with thoughts of, like, okay, what's going to happen next, and you start, you start to feel really, really bad for yourself, and you, you end up... Being like the main person that beats yourself up more than anybody else. Everybody else can like be giving you that encouragement. But if you're not in that headspace to receive it, you're just going to be like, nah, like like you said, like I'm I'm pe- I'm hitting that, that age where I'm not at my peak anymore. Like I'm only going to be older, which means like then I'm more injury prone mm. and like, okay, so why don't I do all this rehab? Will I really be able to get back in the game and be as efficient as I was before? And then sometimes we get stuck of like the age that when we, when we entered doing what we loved. And we thought to forget, like in time, we have to keep going like a like a fine car. We have to keep getting tuned up to be able to continue operating. We're never going to be like what we were when the car first drove off the lot. We we're never going to be what we were when we were at like our prime when we first got into that. So it's maintaining that mentality and not looking at it like, man, I wish I could go back to who I was 18 to 21. But more so, wow, when I was 18 to 21, I had these certain skills. But now here I am, 27, 32. And I'm more developed. I'm more defined. Like I know these things that the 1821s don't know. I know what it's going to take to get my body there, what it's going to take to get my mind there. And I know that I'm better now than I was Mm. then. I may not be as fast, but in terms of skill, I have more skill. I have more like understanding of like how the game goes. Um, And I think that's super, super important to hone in on that as well as your support system, because a failed support system will like, not aid in that person's recovery. And when you have, let's say, a career-ending injury and the next step is a transition, if you don't have people who are like, you can totally still do it. Um, yeah, baseball's over, basketball's over, track's over, swim's over. Um, but what are these skills um, that you've developed? Like, What are your strengths and how can you end up taking that going forward? And I think that's an important component um, to address as well. But if you have people who are just like, dang, like that sucks, like, man, your spot's going to get taken away, that's going to end up like crippling you and you're going to be down in the dumps and they're just going to be like on to the next. Yeah. And so um, I think it's really important, one, to set those boundaries. Um, if you do plan to return, you know, establish um, an agreement or some type of plan with your um your support system type of plan with your, your PT or your athletic trainer, whomever your coach and your teammates. So that way you still feel like super included and you feel like, okay, like they have that desire to want me to be back. And um, I still have a sense of belonging. And sometimes maybe you get hit with that transition of you're not going to be here anymore. Um, And it's a hard reality, but that's just one door closing for the next opportunity. And I 100,000% like buy into that because you have the skill, so take that. Go back into coaching. Maybe you're not going to be in the role of being an athlete on the team anymore, but now you can come back as an assistant coach and work with your specific skills. So that's all like how I u- utilize my mindset um, like with my athletes and stuff because a positive mindset will get you a long way. If you stay stuck in that negative, it's going to affect you in every way, shape, and form.
0: So that's really interesting, and it links into my next question, which was inspired from your story, and also a footballer called Ryan Mason. Um, mm-hmm. basically, Ryan Mason had an injury, but he's gone on to um coaching. Um, so it's, it's very similar to yourself. But I've entitled this question overcoming two layers of trauma. So the first layer is of is when you're playing and you're having to overcome the trauma that you will no longer be at that elite level. Or you may not be playing again. So then that's the first trauma that you're having to overcome. Then you've got that second trauma where you've made that decision where. Actually, I'm going to go into coaching. I'm go- I'm going to go and move on to the other side, but then there's that trauma that comes back because whilst you're out on the field and you're coaching or you're a psychologist, it's not coming back because you're now seeing these players. There may be a player in your position, and you you know to yourself, you think to yourself, man, if I was in that position, if I was if I was on the field, I would have done this. I would have done this much better. So there is, there is the trauma of overcoming you playing, you've done that, but then now you're actually watching those players. So my question to you is, how do you deal with that second layer of trauma where they felt that they've overcome the first part because they've got used to the fact they won't be playing, but now watching players day in, day out, that's something that's caused another kind of mental um, hurdle. So how do you deal with that?
1: I think that's an exceptional question. Um, I know it's always like, initially you're transitioning out so it's that death to your identity as an athlete and for a lot of people it takes a while to like mourn that and so like you said then that second layer of okay I've become okay with the fact that I'm no longer a college athlete or a professional athlete or whatever blank term athlete right um but now I'm still involved and um I think you're always going to have that desire where you start seeing kids that like have the same skill like you're know, like dang like you see you in that person um and I think rather than just like feeling lots of regrets, it's really important to just like, look at that in, in terms of like positivity going like, wow, like, it's so inspirational that like, I used to be that kid and almost be reflective. I think that's the word I'm looking for. Be reflective in the sense of what would I have given as an athlete of like that skill to have someone who knew a little bit more kind of work with me. And maybe it's you pouring into that that athlete, yeah. you know, uh, of course, always asking, so it doesn't feel like Ning, like you've done your time, like you're a dinosaur, like let me let me live, like now I'm better, I'm Godzilla, yeah. right? So uh, I think it's honestly like in that reflective phase, taking what comes with it, because all you're gonna do is learn. You're always gonna have that feeling. I know when I coach swim and coach water polo, I be like, dang, like I so want to get back in the water, I want to compete again. And, like you still have those urges, and I think how you translate that. um, It's up to each person. I personally work to ensure that like, I'm still showing that same energy. So they don't feel like, oh, okay, she's already been here, done that. She doesn't really care. Like, this is just a check. They would see that like, oh, she'll get in the water with us. She'll show us new skills or, oh, okay. She's developed like these different workouts and these different sets and things to keep us um, getting better. You can see the person's heart in that. And I think that's important when you're doing that second layer. Don't go into it just because you're good at it, make sure your heart's in it too. Because at some point you're just going to, you're going to split you're either going to really, really love what you do. You're going to have that passion that's going to show and that's going to promote just positivity and impact. Yeah. Or you're going to go in really negative and it's going to be really harsh and you're not going to make any connections. And ultimately somebody's going to ask you not to come back. Um, and then that's just going to be another death to your identity because you're like, well, I can't do sports anymore. I'm not good at coaching. And then you just developed this, this inner anger yeah. and I've seen it happen uh, and it's so unfortunate but as you go through those phases you know find ways to stay connected um, like I said continue to be reflective and take it as it comes uh, like when I do mental health work I always tell my clients um, you know feel what you got to feel to heal and that same thing applies even on the sports side you got to feel it so as you see these things start to d- ask yourself like why am I feeling mm. this you know uh when i'm watching this this athlete you know come in and boss everybody else and it bothers me and my first thing to do is tell him like no i don't like don't don't go around bossing your teammates you know everybody should be on one accord you like if you're not captain whatever whatever but at the same time like step back and really watch what's happening why is this person bossing you know everybody else around is it because they're passionate about what they're doing is it because the team is just doing their own thing and it's chaotic and it's dysfunctional um so it's a really like said, just sit back reflect vibe, read and then respond
2: my next question has kind of got to do with confidence so in terms of rebuilding your confidence after injury and also rebuilding your confidence after injury that basically means you can't come back to the sport what are the type of things you would say to people in those situations
1: i think that's a good question too um actually like this one because the first thing that always pops on my head when it comes to individuals confidence is what are you skilled with like what are you good at because that's really where you derive this confidence and people are like "Oh, KJ, like what makes you confident i just know that whatever i put my mind to i'm gonna go and i'm gonna accomplish it and so it's like that is my mindset so when i work with athletes and they're going in these transitions and stuff and it's like oh well like I'm not confident that I'm going to transition well. Okay, well, what are you good at? Um, And looking at their strengths. So off the bat, I go straight to a SWOT analysis. Um, More often than not, it's used in business, but I like to use it for performance because it allows you to sit there and focus. So I've made like so many different worksheets with this. And you're looking at what are your strengths? What strengths do you possess? Um, And so you look at it individualistically, and then you also look at it in terms of that transition. What strengths will this transition provide for you? You know what weaknesses will be presented um, while in this transition. What are opportunities that come with this, Um, and then what are those threats? Usually, the threats are you know there's somebody else that's wanting to do it too. Okay, yeah, but what about you? Makes you unique to it. And so always bringing it back to that person and remembering like what what can you bring to the table? You and I can both be excellent water polo players, both here from California, but you know that doesn't that doesn't really matter. You know, what, what other things are you good at? Oh, you're a good communicator. I'd, I'd rather not, you know, and you see these different things. And instead of comparing yourself to the next person, just compare yourself to you. Um, and that's really where your confidence lies. Um, if you don't think of yourself as a person that has great skills and great qualities, you're just going to sit there and your confidence is going to dwindle. If you're always looking at, man, I used to or I should have or I could have and I would have and all that. You're doing more damage to your confidence than just waking up every day being like, you know what, I'm here. I still have, you know, the capability to do these things, even if I don't feel like it. Um, My strengths as an athlete were this. And even looking at in that segment, what strengths did you being in sports or you being an athlete, um, did you develop that can translate over into whatever next profession? Um, And I think a lot of times we don't think about that because athletes are excellent communicators. Um, I won't say we all can function well together in a group, but you learn different team dynamics and what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Um, you're well disciplined, you're good for a schedule. Um, so you've got pretty decent time management because you're used to being on a schedule orientation. Having all the free time in the world, y'all don't know what to do with it. So um going into like a workplace, you can work on a schedule and know, oh, I have to be here at this time. Oh, I have to do like this. So there's a lot of discipline with that. Um But, yeah, that's what I tell
0: my people. Okay. So I want to continue on with confident self-talk. So in terms of myself, so the way I have done it is I have listened to, I guess – Affirmations. So I've downloaded some affirmations on YouTube. I tried doing that for a while. I then wrote my own ones and was saying it out in the mornings and night. I've also recorded myself and listening to myself at least three or four times a day. And I've also done a little bit of mirror work where I'm affirming who I am in front of the mirror. So my next question to you is: What type of methods of self-talk do you promote in your practice?
1: So self-talk is super key. Um, I'm a person that doesn't – I preach what I practice. I practice what I preach. Um, So for me, why are you always going to get a good vibe is because I talk to myself different. I engage in positive self-talk always because I believe in that self-expectancy theory of, like, if I say I'm going to be a failure and I'm not going to amount to nothing and I say all these, like, verbal negatives – Odds are these things are going to start to like matriculate and happen, and uh, people are like, see, see, look, look. You said all that negative. Here it is. Well, yeah, because I'm I'm manifesting that, right? So, uh, being a big big believer in positive psychology, um, I love positive self talk. Um, when I'm working with an athlete, they'll give me something negative, and I'm like, all right, we're going to flip that. Um, I'm going to be your devil's advocate, and I'm going to flip it back to you positively. And so I don't allow for a space uh, I know other people have different approaches but for me personally I don't allow for a space where negativity rides and rides and like can grow okay like I totally get it that absolutely sucks but you know where we like flip words like okay that loss was just a lesson you know Um, that mess is part of your message and all these like however they go like I'm a firm believer in that and so when met with something negative how can we turn this into a positive um, uh, man, I'm injured. I'm out six weeks. Okay. Like that absolutely sucks. I 100% vibe and feel that. But what will these six, al- uh, six weeks allow you, you know, that allows you time to rest, recover, rejuvenate all the things that you wouldn't be able to do if you were still active and doing your thing. And so uh, I always like to translate, okay, this is a statement you gave me like, I'm not a starter anymore okay, I'm not a starter anymore, but that just means I have time to develop my skill and work on something else. So maybe I got complacent with the way that I was uh, managing. So like in basketball, maybe I just got real complacent with, or complacent with like how I run my offense or how I run defense or like with my ball handling skills, but there could be something more that I'm learning or could be learning, but I haven't changed. But the person that's riding the bench, that's really wanting that starting spot, you know, they're doing what they're supposed to do. So just opportunities to learn. Um, and instead of looking at everything like, um, oh my gosh, I can't even think of this negative character, but, um, like a Debbie Downer type thing and just go like, okay, these are just opportunities to be better and do better. And that's one of those other models, like, you know, do better, be better and do that. I love that. You said like the affirmations, I think that's super positive. Um, and it works for some people and then other folks are like, okay, I've done affirmations for forever and it's just not working. I just do not buy into it. And that becomes that wall. And if you don't buy into what you're saying and what you're professing, you're you're going to be your own roadblock. Uh, and then I've had some other folks where they're like, I just, I don't get it. So take your time, you know, say these affirmations and create that space where you can believe it. You know, a lot of people are like, you know, just fake it till you make it. Yes and no, because you can fake it for so long and you're still not happy. And I absolutely believe in finding like that happiness and what brings you joy. Um, I also like to use like, I am statements because, um, they're a little different in terms of the affirmation, but these are things that you know, to be true for you, those tend to work better. And then of course, mirror work. Absolutely. I'd like to do a lot of reflective mirror work. Um, cause you look at yourself in the mirror, you look every day, you know, um, I think the hardest thing for a person to do is to look at their reflection and like what they see. So create that force. Um, so I, have some confrontational methods, um, but more so from like the psych side. But it requires you to look in the mirror and do a full body scan and let me know something that you uh, maybe didn't notice before that you really like about yourself. And it starts like that. Um, Even outside of just like yourself, like, dang, okay, let's look at film and let's go through that. Like um, it could have been a crappy game, but what's like three things you saw that you did really good? And whether you're viewing it or just like reflecting back on that. Um, That's that's really how I like to operate.
2: This question kind kind of, I'll give a scenario. So let's say there's someone who, when in whatever sport they do, they're the best in training. They they stand out, but when it comes to match day, game day, they're completely opposite to the way that they are in training. What are the type of things you would say to them to help them basically perform the same way on match day?
1: I would definitely, like, check in um, because I would want to know, like, you know, when you're at practice, like, you know, you're a banger, like, you're amazing, you're incredible. But when it comes to, like, game day, I'm seeing, like, more mistakes and things um, and kind of just, like, do a little bit of assessment because what that sounds like is mainly just performance anxiety. Um, so what I would suggest is creating a routine. Um, so with that individual, when you're in practice, you're... Practicing as though you're competing. So then when it comes to game day, nothing's really changed. And that also goes back to um, how the coaches set the scene for practice. Because a lot of times you'll practice in like a very light way. And then when you get to competition, you're met with like way different energy. You're met with like way larger crowds or a larger court or like way more aggressive or taller people so the the environment changes. So with that athlete, I would work with them even just one-on-one to work on visualization and imagine themselves utilizing their skills, but in these certain fields and realms. So it's game day. I don't, I don't know the scenario. Like uh, are there larger players, you know, is this the top team in the nation that y'all are competing against? So now that's eating at you. Um, Let's, let's kind of focus in on that. Let's visualize this scenario. Okay. What are we doing? And just talking them through that. And more often than not, when you're engaging in, like, a focused visualization before a competition, the athlete can maneuver and literally, like, go through it and then get into the game and you'll see see things start to play different. Uh, So I think it's just a matter of that. Um, Checking in with them, trying some visualization, establishing a different routine that's more competitive. Um, Because I know I've been to several basketball games where I've seen, like, the players not doing what they not doing what they're supposed to do. Cuz the coaches will be elsewhere and so the players are just like meandering through, not taking it serious. But then you look at the other team and they're all focused, like they're in the game and like looking at these different variables. Um and also working on like okay, what makes you intimidated, you know, by this other team. You know, what what do you think is stopping you from fully playing at your potential because if you're not Clearly, you're gonna be sitting on the bench and you're gonna be hating every second of it. Um, so just exploratory stuff. Yeah. does say have y'all ever been in a position like that where y'all have like been good at practice but not good in competition?
2: All the time. Well, not when I was younger, not now, but when I was younger, um, I would go through something like that. So and it wasn't that it wasn't a nerve thing because I've been I had been in sporting situations where I was nervous. And then there was other <clears> situations <throat> when I wasn't nervous and then I, I still wouldn't perform to the level that I know I was capable of. So it's a, it's a, bit, it's a bit of a weird
0: one. Mentally, I couldn't really differentiate training and um, the actual match because I've got a bit of a intense personality and character, so I can't really switch it off. So training, I'm 100%. Match, I'm 100%. I think it's more in-game in, in game problems with me. that I think that was the main thing. Um, I'm, I wasn't very good at when things were going wrong. I wasn't good at, and I'm still not very good at maybe team members who I don't feel are putting in 100%. And that comes mm-hmm. out even with the teams that I support. So without going into it, I'm sure listeners know who I support in terms of football. It's not necessarily, I'm not looking for them to be the best, but if you put in a hundred percent, I can accept that. But when there are players that are, my, my biggest gripe is when you don't put a hundred percent and it's coupled with the fact that they're millionaires, that makes me even, makes me feel sick to be honest. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's how it is for me personally. Um. Yeah, I want to speak to you about a previous question. So Ed asked you on a previous podcast about the process of getting a client and you mentioned about sending a client a form. And that really got me thinking because my assumption is that self-reflective responses um, speak volumes. So my question to you is, was there or have you done any form of training to kind of understand self-reflective responses or is that more intuitive
1: i'd say it's a mix of both because i'm naturally like super super inquisitive so i'm gonna ask questions because i mean i read body language and everything so i'll know like okay you're telling me something but we're missing something too Mm -hmm. um and so in the sports and then in the mental health side um i often get my clients like dude like you just read me like a book and i'm like I'm just watching your non-verbals, you know, I'm just listening to what you're sharing and I'm starting to understand. So a lot of it's come from kind of like my own experiences. um, And just like I said, that natural inquisition. Yeah. And then also from uh, my, some of my trainings too, because when you're studying sports, like you're also learning like psych stuff too. Yeah. And, um, and then of course I did like a clinical mental health counseling approach too. So I integrate everything and in all that I do. And so I learned to ask questions. I also looked at, you know, what are other sports psychologists doing when they're um, doing intake or when they're going to do consultations with their clients? Because generally we want to get a picture of the client. And so we can kind of know what we're, what we're going to be working with. And so I usually have, like we said before, like I have the client fill out that form. I meet with them for a consultation session and then we figure out, you know, what we're going to do going okay. forward. Um, when I work with teams, I love to do that form because it's private it only goes to me um at the bottom I'll ask them you know if they want me to share it like with their coach or whatever um and they always have that right to decline because some things they just want to share to me and we can work on -on one-on-one and other things a lot of people are dealing with the exact same thing but don't want to like verbalize it so having that safe form allows them to all be like we're struggling with confidence you know, we actually are having, like, issues with our coaches. Um, you know, I feel that there's favoritism. and It allows them to absolutely just vent it. And I love that they feel that they can trust me with all of that. And so then what I end up doing, usually, like, if it's team or, like, coach issues, is translating that into fun team development and team develop, um, team building workshops and activities and things. Like, we'll do an activity or a game, and then we'll do, like, a a teaching segment on it for them to be able to, like, work through it or um, develop new skills. And then the same thing, like when it's individualistic or even just teams on terms of confidence on teams or in terms of communication and all these other like variables that affect their performance. Maybe it's you guys warm up routine absolutely sucks. Mm -hmm. Um, For some teams, I'll absolutely say that be like y'all are trash like because everybody's doing their own thing. You're not like cohesively together and that division is absolutely going to show when they hit that field or when they hit that pool or when they hit the court, wherever they're going to go perform, it's going to show. Um, and so it's just in terms of working that differently. Um, so, yeah, that's all that to say that.
2: But When when people comp- um, complete the form, does, is everyone honest? Or do you get some people who are not quite honest and it's only through like you working with them, you realize, wait a minute, you're actually disclosing a lot from me.
1: I think because like with most teams dependent I do like an introductory so they they to kind of get to know me and um especially a lot of teams I've like worked with like in person they get a vibe and I've gotten more honest responses from those teams and then I've had some other teams like when I work with them virtually and they send the forms like it's it's 50/50 like split like mm-hmm. I'll get half the team that's like 100% honest other teams are like nope there's no problems like mm-hmm. everything is well I'm all good but then when we're sitting here having, like, these team discussions, things are coming up. And I'm like, okay, you know, it's not that they're lying in essence, but they're not comfortable reporting yeah. or um, comfortable just saying that. And then after doing whatever scenario or, um, like, presentation and whatnot, then they'll be like, oh, privately messaging me. And I'm like, that's all good. Like, I'm here for you. Like, I don't take it, um, like, personally because I know if I was to put – fill out forms for services – I don't want to give too much. And also it could be because they're like, okay, this is virtual. What if somebody else gets this? I don't want my name because they're giving me all their contact information. I don't want it saying like, oh, well, Jessica said that she's struggling with anxiety and has had former instances of like suicidal ideation and they don't want their coach to know that. Um, So, you know, different little things like that or yeah, it it, um, never fails to amaze me just The different things that I do learn about people and honestly I think it's beautiful because it reminds us that they are human too Mm
0: -hmm. absolutely I was a few years ago I remember on the BBC there was a program about white sprinters and the science about why not so many of them are running sub 10 seconds in the hundred meters, and there was a big talk about, you know, is is there a reason for it? Is it is it scientific? Like what is it about? So my question to you is if there was a if you had a white sprinter who was probably running 1002s, 1003, and they fell into that trap of thinking that it might be a problem, it might be genetics, how do you get them out of that?
1: I always look at thoughts um in terms of like throwing them on trial. So what I've learned on the clinical side is, you know, when you have people who deal with like thoughts and negative, negative spaces, we have them. Okay. What is that thought? Okay. Because I'm white, like maybe I'm not genetically, you know, adapt to run this fast. What evidence, you know, shows for that, you know, what are, what are your other running times? Like, let's run that. Have you ever hit this number before? Yeah. So maybe it's a weather change. Maybe your joints are different right now. There's, way more that can go to it um i know on a day-to-day we have this conversation yeah. um just in society of like being black and being able to run well you know they're genetically different they're genetically adept to be great athletes and maybe in some instances it's true but it's not for all because i'll tell you what if i was to get out there and go run i can't say like i'm a usain bolt or whatever fast yeah. female oh, i can't think of her name shikari richards I think that's her yeah. name. Uh, i'm not her no, ma'am. No, sir. Um, I could run decently, but I was not built to be a sprinter. It's also some things are genetic. Uh, we, we don't knock it, but I won't say that every black person that's great at sprinting, it was genetically. It's it's all in your training. And if you develop that mindset of it, you're putting that own mental block to your own performance because you start to tell your brain uh, and your body that you can't do it. And so you're wondering why you're staying at those negative numbers or not at those negative numbers, but you're running more than you should, it's your headspace. When you start to tell yourself, you know what, if I keep working hard enough and, you know, I just let my body do what it does, like, I'm going to be able to achieve it. It's all in that positive self-talk. It's all in, you know, that manifestation. And the next thing you know, you're, you're, let's say it's you coming to me with all this negative, but your teammate looks exactly like you. Everything about y'all is almost identical. But their mindset is different in how they're maneuvering. Odds are that next race, they're going to hit closer to that number or that number. Then you can't look at them and go, well, that's Mm. genetic. No, it's all in your training. It's all in your mindset. You know, maybe you're eating a little extra snacks. Maybe you're just not feeling your body the way that it needs to. Maybe you're not stretching. Um, A lot goes into what is your routine? Is your routine any different than, let's say, your black sprinter's routine? Mm. I don't know. Y'all could do the same thing and it still just not be there. Some people are just more naturally gifted than others, and it has no no, co- correlation to a genetic. But um, that's what I would tell them. Mm. Um, I like to keep it really real, but I'm not, like, rude. But mm. just be like, okay, I see that we have that. Let's do this worksheet. Let's go through yeah. this. Okay, since there's no evidence to that, let's really talk. And um, usually we get to the bottom of things.
2: In, in terms of mindset, what are the main things you want to see from someone when you finish working with them.
1: I want to see that they can come up with solutions um on their own. Um that they don't have to come to me and be like, oh doc, like what do you think? Cause I get a lot of that. I'm like, I don't want to know what I think. I always run it back. Like what do you think? You know, um the more I allow any of my clients to talk, the more they give all the solutions. So a lot of times they'll talk and they're like, man, I was thinking about this, but then I decided, you know, rest is good and Or I should really just change up like how I'm eating or who I'm, who I'm hanging around and blase blase, And by the end of it, I'm like, yeah. What did you say to me? Like five minutes ago, you said, blase blase boom, boom. And they're like, Oh yeah, you have, you have your solution. So that there shows me that they have that growth mindset where they can do that own self-reflection. Um, and that they can still bounce back where I've seen other athletes just stay in a fixed mindset of like, I'm just never going to get any better. Like help me tell me I can tell you, um, and I can give you the whole blueprint. But if you're not gonna do the work for yourself, then you're just gonna be on my couch even longer, or we're just gonna be in chats even longer until you decide that you wanna do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that independence, that being able to do their own thing, them not needing me as much, um, or it's like, hey, KJ, I just wanna rack your brain and just kind of venting it out. And that's that's what I look forward to know that, okay, you know, um, at this point, I think like we're done together like i'm here if you need me but we don't need to see each other so frequently or at this point i think we've accomplished all the goals and i think goals are an important thing to establish at the beginning like what can i help you to achieve you know what are your expectations and all of that and as you start to go through these sessions and um working with these clients um checking in like what do you think um we've been able to accomplish like from the time you started till now and going back and doing that reflection and then you're hearing that oh yeah we knocked off these goals and you only have, like, two goals left, okay, let's see that, oh, I want to be able to make it, like, on the JO's team, so, like, you're, like, the Junior Olympics Mm -hmm. team, or I want to make it on the national team, okay, like, let's do it, like, what are you doing to prepare for all of that, and some of it, it's beyond my control, I cannot say that, just by working with me, you're going to end up on these teams, I can only help you unlock your mind, and, you know, help you reach your potentials, there's no guarantee in my closet says you will be d1 or this and that you will just be mentally more um functional so
0: yeah can you talk to us about a difficult conversation you have had with a coach in regards to a early returning player um so you think that in my have an impact on them in the long term but because that player is maybe an important player not necessarily a star player but definitely important player they want them to return early how was that um conversation and what was the outcome
1: so i actually haven't had that yet um more so with the athlete more than the coach um and so a lot, this happens a lot where, like you said, they're, they're a top player and the coach wants them back. So usually the coach and like the, um, like team doc and all that, they're going to try to force this person back as soon as possible. My obligation is always to that athlete. Um, are you ready? Do you feel that you're ready? You know, where are you feeling the pains? Is your doctor agreeing, you know, with your terms of readiness or are they just shushing your voice and saying, nope, nope, go ahead and come back. How are you feeling? Is your stuff stable? Because Then that becomes very uh, on the fence, too, because they can just be mentally not tapped in and their their injury is absolutely healed. And then other times they can be like, no, like I still have this ache or something is still not right. And so their intuition is telling them, like, chill. So then from there, I would talk with the team doc and the um, head coach and letting them know, like, let's say the athlete's name is Brianna. Brianna's not ready Uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, all of that. And if you're wanting Brianna to come back at her best, we're going to need a little bit more time. I understand that maybe playoffs are around the corner, championships are around the corner, and she has a lot of skills and assets, but we will be doing way more damage bringing her back right now and potentially you know, furthering her injury to the point where she may not be able to come back from it versus just allowing her to sit out right now and function with who we have on the team to just achieve our goal uh, some coaches are very receptive and some coaches just really don't care um it's they want they want those wins more than they care about the person more than they care about just like that connection with the team and i'm going to be absolutely honest i can't function with coaches like that <laughs> because your mindset is ill um you're going to be doing more damage to your players whether they're male or female than anybody else because they look up to you right like they're around you they they value your word but if they're in a critical situation where, let's say it's your shoulder, that's your shooting arm, right? You can't get out there and expect, oh, well, you know, you're you're fine if you just put up a, a couple hundred shots each practice, you'll be good. But your shoulder's not stable enough. Now they're putting you in a high pressure situation where you're already doubting your ability because you know my shoulder's not fully healed. If I get out there and they're expecting me to bank that last shot, um, there's no way I'm going to do it. Um, so now. that happens they go out there they shoot because they weren't ready to play and now the coach is just chewing them a new neck right uh I hate my like despise is a good word but hate that because all you're doing is breaking that person down because you you care so much about a win versus someone who's been attending practice who's been on the bench or whatever and they're fully capable of hopping in there and utilizing their skill so um yeah, to any coaches listening, if you are in this situation, I would highly disadvise you rushing your athlete back. I know it's for the sake of the team, but this is why we have multiple players on a team. Everyone should be able to be, like, cross-trained, to be able to play each other's positions. Um, and that's what we have backup players for, to train them up in the event. It shouldn't always just be that starting five. It should be a constant rotation so everybody has that time to grow. Uh, because what if your whole let's say starting five and this is knock on wood, God forbid, but, uh, your whole starting five, they're all in a car, they're leaving from the game. They're super excited about, a um, that win and they go to celebrate, but somebody hits them and now your five starting players are all injured and they're out. Now you got to work with what you have. And so it's that mentality of not thinking that they're going to be injured, but what happens if life occurs and you don't have your top players, um, so that's what I was telling. Don't don't ever rush a player to return. Um in so little words.
2: So out of all the athletes that you have worked with, do you think you've learned anything about yourself in the in the same time?
1: Absolutely. I feel like if I'm not learning something about myself in order to like grow then I'm not doing a good job. Uh like I said, uh um, being in dual roles on the clinical side and then in the sports side, if I'm not working with someone and they're like causing me to have to think like, dang, like what would I have done differently? Or dang, like, man, I really wish I had your mindset. I I learn a lot from each one of my clients, whether it's just statements, I'm a quotes person. So um, a lot of times like they'll say things and I'm like, Oh, like this is awesome. Like I work with um, an athlete right now. And we were talking about literally being in a lily pond. And I said, girl, you don't give me an analogy. and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to use that because this is is so dynamic. Uh, So I'm always just just learning more about myself and also just learning ways that I could just be better in terms of my presentation, in terms of like how I articulate myself and communicating with these athletes, how I have to keep adjusting and adapting at each level. Because if I'm working with elementary school students, they're going to get me a whole different high-energy vibe. Um, I love them, by the way. And then versus if I'm working with, like, a professional athlete, I have to maintain, like, a certain composure with them. And, um, you know, am I working with just them by themselves or am I working within the organization? And um, So I'm always learning, always adapting. And I think like that's who we should be as people. Like, no matter what realm we're in, we should always, in these connections and in these moments, grow and adapt. And, um, yeah, so... Mm -hmm, absolutely
0: so I've got three more questions first one is are there any methods that differentiate sporting and your non-sporting identity
1: it's hard for me um because like as like a clinician I use a very like eclectic approach and so that just means like I'm super integrative and so in everything I do I find a way to to interconnect it because I could be working with the athlete on performance but then it comes up that they're having, like, anxiety issues and, like, other things on the mental health side. So I'm always swinging back and forth, like, on the fence. Like, if I'm working with them solely as just a mental performance coach, then I don't give, like, any, like, clinical, like, diagnostic information and stuff like that. I just kind of give, like, some psycho and leave it at that. Um, but then when I'm on the other side, a lot of times, even in the mental health, um, like working as a a clinician, I have athletes. And so now it's like, okay, like we're going to talk about, you know, the disorder or like, not the disorder, but like, we're going to talk about the mental health issue, but then we're also going to end up talking about like your sport and what's going on. And so, um, yeah, it's hard for me, um, to just sometimes just, only be on one when most people are dealing with both sides of it
0: yeah so my so this was inspired that question was inspired from a previous guest and they had a very short clip on youtube about that their sport does not define them and i found that quite interesting because straight away i thought about kind of maybe young athletes who probably just all they see is their sporting selves and then when for example they do not reach the the heights of their their own expectations or you know they have some form of an injury or some any something that just stops them from continuing on it's not just well i've stopped in sport but i can continue on but it's actually my whole life is it's finished now because of this sport so that was kind of the reason why and i guess an extra question is isn't it dangerous to integrate sporting and your non-sporting identity
1: i don't think so um because when I first was studying everything, it was just for psychology, and then finding okay. out there was sports psychology. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, because all my all at this point, all my degrees are like mental health focused, yeah, yeah. and so when I'm working in sport, it's the sport and performance, the psychology of yeah. it. So yeah, we're doing like the mental skills, but we still will always like be applying some type of like psychological approaches and mm. stuff. Uh, so that's why I'm like, for me, I don't I don't see it um, like the issue. Yeah. Um, now when i do have an athlete who i'm solely focused on just as an athlete or i'm working with them through the team and they're coming to me with like they're basically like wanting me to go ahead and diagnose them or do all of that that's when i go ahead and set that boundary and let the usually i set that way ahead of time and let them know like i'm not the counselor you know if you were wanting the services like that's something completely different but uh usually like working with the schools I have all of their um, resources. So one school in particular, okay, they have an off-campus therapist. Okay, if we're having, like, these issues, then we're going to go ahead and need to um, alert your coach. They'll alert the AD. And then we're also going to um, bring in um, the outside therapist. And you're going to get referral over to them based on whatever was shared. Um, Sometimes they just might be like, I have high anxiety, and I might have just had an anxiety attack you know like do you have any like interventions that are things that i can do to try to like reduce it for the most part uh if they're seeing a clinician they'll already know like deep breathing exercises or grounding exercises and stuff like that so i just bring that back um so that's where like more like that just psychoeducation. but i don't ever um like diagnose my clients and like or like my sports clients And work with them through, like, a mental health frame. It's everything is just through, like, the sports, like, realm. And then we split. But, yeah, for me and my identity, um, I know a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I'm just a therapist. And it's like, yeah, like, I do therapy, but, like, I also do sports. Mm. And so uh, it's really, at this point, it's so hard because they're just one big merge
0: okay so my second to last question is about yourself and how do you clear your mind from difficult clients and when i'm talking about difficult clients i'm not talking about the ones that are making it difficult for you per se but more significantly around their scenario so their traumatic experiences so how do you clear your mind and you and so how do you keep their difficult experiences away from yourself so you don't take it home
1: I love that. I love that question. I love that question because I get asked a lot. Um, I am a big, big, big advocate in self care. Um, so truthfully, once I finish with clients on either spectrum, um, I log out. I get off the computer. We're done. Like I just do my notes like while I'm um, seeing them, and then I'm done. I close the computer. I leave all of that like in the office or whatever space like I was working, and then I go live life. Uh, not to say like that, what they shared with me and all of that like doesn't matter because I'm processing that um, in that session with them. But in order for me to be effective, I have to just continue living. And so uh, trauma is something that comes up a lot or just just deep emotional conversations with people like where I get athletes crying all the time and I love it. Uh, not love it because they're crying, but I love it because it's real raw emotion and it makes me feel connected And so after having these moments, I'll kind of, like, take a minute. It's not that, I immediately once the session's closed, I just shut everything down. But I'll take a minute. I'll kind of reflect and be like, all right, we're going to go do this instead. And usually that's hanging out with my daughter. That's hanging out with my family and my friends. Going to eat. um, Cooking. I just go do self-care for me. And I know a lot of, like, consultants and coaches and clinicians, like, they – fail to do that. So then they achieve this burnout and they're like, well, why can you see clients? And why do you like, why do you keep going? Why do you have all this energy? Because when I clock out odds are, I'm clocking into social media <laughs> and um, <laughs> a lot of my sessions provide great content. So here I am now TikToking or now I'm on um, IG making reels, or maybe I'm just um, going on and developing um, usually in my notebook first, but developing like more, courses or just switching things and stuff that I've already like done. And so that's my self care. And then when I'm really logged out of like all of what I want to do in that regard, I won't say like Netflix and like chill and kick it, but (laughs) I will be on some streaming platform and I will be relaxing. And, um, that's what I do. And that keeps my mental health good. That keeps me going. I may go on a walk. Um, walks are super, super avid for me. Um, just go outside and live. Because if all we are is just trapped in that identity and I would just sit on a mental loop of like, wow, like that was super traumatic what they just shared or wow, like that was really like energy draining and I would just keep draining myself till my battery is empty and I don't want to do that. Um, So I go recharge in all the great ways so I can keep giving that same good energy day in and day out. And then when I'm having like lows, guess what? We take that time. And we don't do nothing. We don't, we don't clock in. We don't see anybody. We don't respond to nothing. We just take that time for ourselves. And that is not selfish. That is absolutely necessary for just us as human beings to continue to function, especially while we're still amidst the pandemic when we don't know what's going to happen on a day-to-day mm. basis.
0: So my last question stems from a conversation on Joe Rogan podcast with Matt Taibbi. And Matt Taibbi said basically in the 21st century jobs in and around mental health will be the it will be the biggest sector and industry Um, and that got me thinking and I'm gonna make an assertion that in the next 15 to 20 years sports psychology um, there will be a sports psychologist with most teams and most individuals at high and mid-tier so my question to you is when it becomes so normalized and there is the barrier of an athlete saying well i'm fourth in the world and prior to me having a sports psychologist i was fourth in the world um my my peers were ahead of me um now i've got a sports psychologist my peers also have a sports psychologist they're using the same resource as me how i guess my question to you is how am i going to use you or what difference are you going to make considering we are all using the same um, resource
1: i think that's awesome that that is by far an exceptional question because i don't believe in a cookie cutter method so um I flex and I adapt with each athlete I work with. They're not like I can work with a group and generally we're all going to get the same thing. But when I start working with you individually, it adapts to who you are. And so a lot of times you'll just see in the mental health world, um, just straight the clinical side, a lot of people are very cookie cutter and it depends on the organization that they're with and what the expectations are where they can't really stretch and be their own selves. I'm always going to make sure that I'm true to who I am and what I like to do and what my specialties are. And um, I won't be cookie cutter. I'm going to keep stretching. So when they say, like, what makes you different? Well, I don't know what they're doing in their session because I'm not their sports psychologist. I'm not their sports consultant. I'm a your sports consultant. So my focus is here with our relationship and what what we can achieve together. Yeah, you're fourth in the world. So what goals do you have You know, beyond that? Like, what are you aiming to do this year that's different than them? Um, If your focus is on what these other people are doing, that's going to be a shot to your performance. Mm -hmm. Always, always, always. And um, that's just something generally out of our big book of sports psychology that, um, you know, we see with athletes. When your focus is on everyone else and what they're achieving and what you're not achieving, then your focus is in the wrong place. When you're focusing on yourself and you're developing your self-awareness and you're knowing what your your key strengths are and where your weaknesses are and where you can get better, then that's how you're going to grow and be and do better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say what Johnny's doing with Ashley, the sports consultant, because we're not the same. Um, Again, like, it's just all in, by that point in time, like you said, like 15, 20 years, sports psych is definitely going to be hot and booming and everybody's going to have one. If not even now, a lot of, um, pro teams have like mental, mental performance coaches, yeah. but no two coaches are going to be the yeah. same. So they could be working with Brad and Brad does his thing, but then Sarah does something mm. different. Um, they can be working with KJ and then I do mine and it's in a very different manner, but I'm out for a week and they have to work with Josie and they're pissed off because Josie's not bringing that same energy, same demographic of individuals in terms of, like, um, you know, skill. But, you know, everybody's different, and their approaches are different. And it's also how you're choosing you as an athlete to apply what you're being taught because we can all talk about mindfulness and positive self-talk and um, just goal setting, but you're taking it with a grain of salt. But Brad, working with Josie, is, like, yep, I'm working on my mindfulness every day. I'm finding a reason to be grateful every day. I'm looking at, you know, my skills and my abilities and, you know, that's why they're progressing. So um, I think even just even on the mental health side too, like it's been such a popular thing, but now there's more of a need for it because now more people are open and talking about it that you can see, you can see all these clinicians and this still not be the fit for you. Um, so find, find who fits for you and make that work. And you know you don't have to be stuck just because a team appoints or well, you have to work with Jerry. Okay. But Jerry, no offense to whoever Jerry is. Jerry sucks. <laughs> um, Jerry's just not your cup of tea. Jerry doesn't understand. Jerry doesn't vibe with you the way that you need to vibe. You know, Jerry keeps trying to have you use all these approaches and stuff that you don't feel are effective. And you're telling Jerry, like, these aren't effective. And Jerry's just saying, well, you know what? Like, this is just by the protocol. This is just the standard. And whatever, some people are by the book. Then he needs to get rid of Jerry and find him at KJ. Mm. So, yeah. I just, I'll keep flexing and adapting <laughs> and be who I am. And if folks want to work with it, great. If they don't, my feelings are not absolutely hurt. So it's all good. Sure.
0: <laughs> Love that ending. Uh, Dr. KJ, how can people get in contact with you?
1: You can get in contact with me uh, if you email me. It's dominantimpact.gmail.com. You can follow me on my socials, the Minority Sports Psych Doc, or at Dominant Impact Performance. That's on IG. Um, It's at Dominant Impact on Twitter. And if you just search it on Facebook, Dominant Impact Performance, you can always send me a message on there. Uh, I almost always have my phone near or around me. So I get pings and I get back to you ASAP. If you're looking for services, just notify or um, write that in your message and then I'll send you the form and then we'll schedule a consultation day and then we'll talk about packages, prices, and plans. Um, If you are on my social media, you'll see the different services that are offered. Um, We're going to revamp a few um, this year. We're always going to keep Bounce Back. Bounce Back is our um, return to play program for injured athletes. Um, we have mine camps. those are individualistic um they are team specific um it just depends on what's happening and um the goal is once this pandemic is over truthfully to actually take these camps to schools and actually be away like at like three to five day camps and learning skills and stuff. but that'll all be in time um but yeah, if you need me, reach me uh those are all my social handles and all of that.
0: Thank you very much um. Yeah, I guess on behalf of myself and Ed, thank you so much for coming on for a second time. Yeah, that was good. That was action-packed. You said a lot. Um, I hope we pushed you and we didn't waste your time. Um, questions from both of us were well thought out because we wanted we knew that there were some areas from the first pod that we could have expanded on. And now I'm sure we're both very very satisfied and the listeners will be even more satisfied than us so dr kj thank you very much for coming on any last words
1: Look, feel what you gotta feel to heal do better be better and i'm gonna see y'all on the next
0: episode Jeez. <laughs> i love that <laughs> ended all right if you are if you are um, a new listener welcome aboard if you are a regular listener continue to share and listen until next time, guys. Stay healthy. Stay blessed. Peace.